Welcome to Copyright Clearance and his podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, April 27th, 2018, and Publishers Weekly senior writer Andrew Albanese joins me on the line from New York City. Welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Greetings, Chris. So at least in the Northeast, Andrew, spring has come at last, and with it, many minds have begun to entertain thoughts of summer and summer reading. PW's editors and writers are ready to help as ever and have once again published staff picks for great summer summer books. Tell us about that. That's right. So it's always one of our favorite features of the year and one of our most popular features of the year. And it went live on the PW site just after we finished recording our session about James Comey and how political books are driving industry sales uh, in 2018, uh, our podcast last week, of course. And you know what you'll love about the list on the PW site is that it's not all politics. Our 2018 summer reads list is, is a strong one again and really reflects the eclectic tastes of the PW staff. And we see a lot of books here. But mostly, I think... It also shows the diversity and quality of what's being published right now and by who. Now, I won't run down the whole list, but I'll point out a couple of general observations. And one is that I haven't read a single book on the list this year. In fact, I was familiar with only a handful of the titles and a handful of the authors on the list. And I see a lot of books and I read a lot of books in my job here at Publishers Weekly. And my wife reads even more than I do, especially when it comes to new fiction. So what that tells me is that you're probably going to find something great, probably something that you didn't know about on this list to read. And also there's everything from poetry to nonfiction and graphic novels and humor, a really wide range of stuff. And and something we pointed out quite a bit on this show too is quite evident. And that's the, the rise of the independent publisher, the golden age of indie publishing, because there are a ton of independent publishers represented on the list. And yes, the major publishers are represented as well, uh, but the indie publishers on the list here show just how rich the market is for books and America today. And you can check out that list now on the PW website. And I guarantee you're going to find something great to read this summer. Well, you mentioned James Comey, uh, Andrew, and this week we have learned better how well his book, A Higher Loyalty, has sold. So, uh, so far, better or worse than expected? A little bit better than I thought, I have to say. You know, according to Comey's publisher, Macmillan's Flatiron Books, uh, the former FBI director sold his book, it's called, I think, Higher Loyalty, sold more than 600,000 copies in its publication week last week. And as expected, that landed it as number one best-selling book in all formats. And Flatiron reportedly has more than a million copies of the book in print now. So that's pretty good. Uh, you know, last year we didn't have a single million selling new book. And already in 2018, Macmillan has potentially two. Uh, one for sure is Michael Wolf's Fire and Fury, which was published by Henry Holt. And it dominated the bestseller list and sold a million copies in print, according to BookScan. And notably, BookScan reported this morning that Comey outsold Fire and Fury in its first week. But our listeners will recall that's not actually too surprising because Macmillan just didn't have the books in the warehouses when Fire and Fury hit. Still, I'm not convinced that James Comey's book is going to get the traction that Fire and Fury got. It's just not as salacious as that book was. Uh, But we'll see. I think we can at least call it a success based on its first week alone. And with two books selling almost a million copies or on the path to selling a million copies, the first four months of 2018 have been a big year for Macmillan already. When Copyright Clearance and his Friday podcast returns, Andrew Albany studies the challenges facing university presses. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. 
Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio. It's Friday, April 27th, 2018. I'm Chris Keneally for Copyright Clearance Center's Beyond the Book. We are catching up on the week's news in book publishing with Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly. Last week, Andrew, you reported on some industry sales figures, and you noted how nonfiction is driving those sales. This week, we learned a little bit more about one sector where falling sales is now a well-established rule. Tell us about the fate of e-books. That's right. So this week, we learned that unit sales of traditionally published e-books and I have to differentiate between the self-published ebooks on Amazon. Uh, but traditionally published ebooks fell 10% in 2017 over the previous year. And that's according to figures released by PubTrack Digital, which is part of the MPD book group, uh, which also, of course, has the, the book scan unit uh, that measures print sales. And the PubTrack Digital tracks ebook sales from about 450 publishers and according to PubTrack ebook sales were only 162 million last year in terms of units and that's down from 180 million units sold in 2016 so a disturbing trend and when you combine print sales uh, of course MPD has the book scan service which I just mentioned when you combine those sales with the PubTrack digital sales we get an estimate that ebooks accounted for about 19% of total units last year and that's down from 21 in 2016. We talked about nonfiction last week, and while nonfiction is driving print book sales, readers seem to still prefer fiction in the ebook category. Uh, ebooks have a much smaller share of the adult nonfiction market, only about 12%. I found that to be really remarkable. But that again, sales in that segment did rise 3% last year, no doubt owing to the, the uh, spate of political books coming out. And I'd expect that number to jump in 2018 as well, thanks to Fire and Fury, which sold a ton of ebooks uh, as the book, of course, went out of print so quickly or out of stock so quickly uh, in its print book edition. So we keep thinking that ebooks are going to hit bottom, and we come up with all these reasons why they've hit bottom and how they're going to start bouncing back, but the decline continues for yet another year. Well, indeed. Speaking of hitting bottom, last week we learned that the University Press of New England is closing down. The Lebanon, New Hampshire-based press has 25 employees and distributes books for Dartmouth College and Brandeis University. In a statement, Dartmouth President Phil Hanlon said the press has become unsustainable to operate with only two member institutions. Now, a headline like this typically generates reaction on just how embattled university press publishing is. But next week, you have a story, Andrew, looking at how UPs are doing, and the reality is pretty well. Tell us about that. Yeah, so first sad news about the decision to shutter the University Press of New England, uh, and we'll have much more on that in the coming weeks. But what's interesting, I thought, is that, you know, as you suggested, the closure did indeed generate a wave of headlines that portrayed university presses as particularly embattled. In fact, there was a, an editorial in the Chronicle of Higher Education that was titled, uh, I think it was University Press's Last Stand. But a closer look at the facts suggests that 
The reality is a little more complicated. So first things first, university press sales are actually doing pretty well. And for reasons you might expect, you know, we're seeing this boom in nonfiction. And also we're seeing this boom in regional sales. And poetry is doing very well these days. And those are three areas that university presses really focus on and excel at. And with bookstore sales bouncing back in recent years, that too has helped. In fact, AAP sales, which has a university press uh, category in its stash shop program, shows that through the first 11 months of 2017, 17, which are the most recent audited numbers that we have, university press sales are actually up 5% over the previous year. And that's nothing to sneeze at. That's Those are pretty strong figures. And another number I'll throw at, at you is that social science books are up 88% over the previous year. That's a huge jump. And of course, driven by current events, I'm sure. But of course, it's true that some presses, university presses are being targeted. And it's not entirely clear why only that it's not likely owing to sales or to performance. Uh, I'll give you an example. The conservative governor of Kentucky, Matt Bevin, recently slashed the $600,000 annual subvention for the University of Press of Kentucky. And you have to ask yourself why. Because the press's sales have been growing. Uh, ever since the Great Recession, when they sort of bottomed out, they've been starting to come back. And the University of Press of Kentucky has a great reputation and a really powerful regional list. So it just makes no sense to me that a sitting governor would intervene to slash what's actually such a small part of the state budget. It was literally a line-item cut. So that's very curious. Uh, and recently, the University of New Mexico Press was in the sights of administrators, and then the library stepped up and took it in, and it appears anxious to make that press work. And again, the University of New Mexico Press is in other presses that has done very well over the years. Uh, there are also questions about what's going on with the University Press of New England. We're not exactly sure whether the story we're getting out of Dartmouth is the actual story, and my colleague Alex Green is reporting on that, and we should see a report from him in the coming days. So you'll want to look for that on the PW site. So I took the opportunity to talk with AAUP, it used to be AAUP, now it's AUP, Association of University Presses Executive Director Peter Berkery, uh, about what's going on with the university presses. And his message to me was that the reality for presses today is not one of crisis, but one of growth and change. Still, there does seem to be a strain of university administrator out there that looks at the support of university presses and the regional publishing that they do is not necessarily central to the institution institution's core mission, which of course is a very dangerous attitude because under that reasoning, there's no amount of investment that is going to be justified. It's, it's almost anti-intellectual. And whether your sales are rising or not, it's hard to show your value in the face of that kind of thinking. So how UPs can push back against that narrative is going to be very important. And in today's climate of fake news and rising censorship and challenges to the idea of authority and trusted institution, I see university presses as having a chance to really show their worth. Uh, the wild card is whether that truth is going to be blown away in some pretty stiff political winds that are blowing these days. So uh, I have a story up on the Publishers Weekly website on Monday. You can check that out and stay tuned because we're going to be following this up in the coming months. Well, thanks for that report card on University Presses, Andrew, and for all your reporting on the business of the book world this week and every Friday right here on Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. Coming up next on Beyond the Book, in 2018, copyright laws and respect for intellectual property face tremendous public and policy pressures in the UK, across the EU, and around the world. How do authors consider the threats to their livelihoods, and how are they managing the opportunities? At the recent London Book Fair, author and translator Daniel Hahn discussed with me and Nicholas Solomon, chief executive of the UK Society of Authors, the author's perspective on copyright. 
if I translate a book, the original copyright remains intact. The copyright in the original still exists. But another copyright comes into existence as I create a new thing. So uh, any of my books in translation will have two copyright lines on the copyright page. Copyright the author such and such a date. Copyright me such and such a date. Which means that constantly any translation, almost by definition, is going to have these two very different will have established two very different uh, been established by two very different systems anxieties and aspirations a copyright conversation next on beyond the book beyond the book is produced by copyright clearance center a global leader in content management discovery and document delivery solutions through its relationships with those who use and create content ccc and its subsidiaries rights direct and ixis drive market-based solutions that accelerate knowledge power publishing and advance Copyright. Beyond the Book co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book. 